Yoga in all its forms has been a support for me in my life through all the highs and lows. It's opened my mind and my heart in ways I never knew were possible. It has been a teacher, a taskmaster, and a friend. This podcast is an offering. I wish to share the teachings of yoga with you as a tool to help navigate life. Namaste and welcome. Welcome back. I'm so happy you're here. In the last episode, I was sharing loving kindness meditation, metta. You know, the Buddhists believe that those who cultivate metta will be at ease because they discover no reason to harbor hostility. They discover through introspective work, through investigative work, that there's no reason to hold on to anger. It's not that someone said, hey, there's no reason to hold on to anger, so stop doing that. What they're saying is, we've looked at our relationship to anger, to hostility. We've looked at it through the practice of loving kindness amongst other practices. And we've discovered or uncovered that it actually does not lead to a state of mind that allows me, the practitioner, a sense of ease. And then we also look at our relationships and we say, well, I'm harboring a lot of hostility. How is that showing up in all of the things I do, all of the relationships I have, my thoughts, um, my attitude towards life, you know? And so discovering that cultivating a sense of loving kindness leads us to a place where we understand hostility and anger, resentment, frustration. We understand these emotions and we understand the role that they are playing in our life. And that's very individual. I was drawn to Buddhism many years ago, and I remember hearing Professor Robert Thurman at Tibet House talking about what it really meant to practice Buddhism. And what I heard him say was, the Buddha was not putting forth these hard, fast, ideas or teachings and saying, do this, don't do that, follow me. What he was saying and teaching was, here's what I uncovered, here's what I discovered. Try it. See how it works for you. Well, that's my understanding of the overview of Buddhism. And so I liked that. I found liberation in that. I found hope in that. I could try these things and I could see what worked and what didn't and take what works and leave the rest. Uh, and that's a constant evolution. It wasn't, here's a manual, do these 10 things, follow these 10 rules or 30 or whatever the number is, and you'll be fine just trust in us, you'll be fine. No, it was more like get into the nitty gritty of your life, figure out why your relationships are the way, which ones are working, which ones don't feel like they're working, 
what your level of reactivity is to thing. What is your relationship to anger? What is your relationship to sadness? What is your relationship to joy? All of this is a continual work in practice, a, a work in progress to practice and be mindful of how I show up in the world, how I align myself with the present moment in relationship to the fluctuations of my mind, how I yoga, basically how I yoga. So when we look at meditation, which is a really important component to managing the mind stuff, we get a lot of ideas about meditation. I hear a lot of different things from students and people and it's, oh, you meditate or you teach meditation. You, you meditate. Oh, I couldn't, I don't know. That's too much. It's really saddens me because when anything gets put into the mainstream, especially it becomes that thing that others can do. Oh, you dedicated a lot of time to that, or you have that skill or you're other than me. That's very frustrating to me because meditation is a skill that everyone can hone, dare I say should hone. Um, but as they say in Sex in the City, don't should all over yourself, right? But it is a skill that we are all capable of adapting, practicing in our life and improving upon. What is meditation? It's mindfulness. Meditation is a practice whereby you recognize the activity in your mind, the distractions in your mind, all of the things, the storytelling, and you make a decision to calm the mind, to bring the mind back to a single pointed focus. Now, I've heard meditation teachers describe it as training a puppy. I've done plenty of that in my life, quite gratefully. Training a puppy looks like you have the newspaper down or they use these wee-wee pads today or whatever it may be. And you put the puppy on the paper because that's where you want it to do its business. And as soon as you put the puppy on the paper, the puppy scurries off. Then you pick up the puppy, you put the puppy back on the paper and the puppy scurries off. Pick the puppy up, put the puppy on the paper and the, you get the idea. This is meditation. You want the mind to be focused on whatever it may be. We can look at the different things, breath, sound, mantra, loving kindness, phrases, um, all of those things. An object placed outside of you, you could do tray tack, which is focusing on a candle flame. It's called a kriya or a cleansing, right? You focus on an object outside of you. You can focus on the other things I mentioned, but your mind is going to get distracted the puppy is going to run off the paper. The wild horses are going to run amok, 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 right? The idea of meditation is to recognize distraction and bring yourself, when you recognize the distraction, back to the place that you are choosing to focus your concentration, to focus your mind. So distra recognizing distraction becoming aware, mindful, that the mind has been distracted, that's success in meditation, if you follow. When we are in a place where we are able to recognize that we've become distracted, 
that's the moment we bring the mind back to present to the breath phrases sound a candle whatever it may be one thing and we begin again every time that we are aware that the mind was distracted ruminating worrying thinking storytelling shopping listing all the characters in snow white whatever our mind decided to do with us for that moment soon as we recognize that the mind has been distracted we bring it back to the present moment to the object that we are focusing on and we begin again and again and again even if you're getting distracted every 10 seconds that's fine the power is in the moment that you become aware whoops i got distracted again i'm gonna come on back you're training the puppy of the mind you are honing the skill of concentration and might i say here that because of all of our use of phones habits of phones and all things technological really you know whatever that may be your laptop or i don't know the brain craves a dopamine hit or a dopamine boost of novelty or something new it's so curious for that dopamine hit that it's becoming much harder for people to meditate especially if they are beginning at it now in this um, reality that we have of all of this distraction, right? So our minds are distracting enough on their own without these tools that we have, like our phones and things. And on that note, I want to acknowledge that just because we have all this new technology and these new distractions, it, that doesn't mean that it's actually harder to meditate than it was 150 years ago because the mind has always been the puppy that we're trying to train and it will always go out of the present moment to try and find something to distract itself with it's the nature of the mind but it doesn't have to be your reality if you wish to have better concentration and better focus which studies are showing that that we are finding more incidents of OCD, anxiety disorders, depression, um, all of these things are coming because in greater numbers, because our minds are more fragmented. There's more vrittis, there are more ripples because so many more dopamine hits are available. I remember years ago, and so this does predate for me, cell phones and Instagram reels. Um, I don't want to start sounding like that character in Wanderlust, you know, fax machines and blackberries, but it does predate those fun things uh, in the story that I'm sharing. So I think the year was 1999 and I had gone to see a therapist um, and she, she was really, a wonderful um, turning point for me. 
opened me up to some different ideas. But I went to see the therapist because I wasn't open to new ideas at that point. I had been practicing yoga and um, reading certain inspirational things, but I was not meditating. I had, trying to think of how many kids at the time, I had two young kids and I, I had family. I had my life and as busy as everybody is. We're all busy, blessedly. And I remember the therapist saying to me, you know what you need, which I always love when somebody starts that off, but you know what you need, you need to meditate. Five minutes a day is all you need. Five minutes a day, you need to meditate. And I, in all of my wisdom, said to her, really, are you not listening? I don't want to have five minutes. Well, I've said some stupid things in my life. <laughs> Trust me. But that was one of the dumbest things I've ever uttered. Um, but in that moment, I was really quite adamant about the fact that I didn't have five minutes. And she laughed. And now I get the joke. Because it won't be long after that, that I will, um, a couple of years later, it'll take me a couple of years to look at what this meditation was all about. And it will grow from five minutes to much longer, pretty quick. And that was because five minutes was all it took for me to realize how much better I felt. Pema Chodron, a Buddhist nun, um, wonderful teacher, she... I have heard her say in person at teachings that she rebukes the idea of five minutes. Now, I'm not saying this is still her stance, but when I um, went to lectures with her at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, I remember her saying it. I'm not going to give you permission to meditate for five minutes. You need to meditate for 30 minutes. And if you can't meditate for 30 minutes, I believe she said, then you need to meditate for 60 minutes or something like that. So I understand that and I wholeheartedly respect that teaching and I took it to heart and it made a big difference for me. But I think it's really important to look at what they're finding in studies today is that five minutes a day will give you the boost that you need to set yourself on your way. It makes a difference. These short bursts of meditation can help people become more focused, less anxious, less depressed. So here's a couple of um, ways that you can bring meditation into your day. The first thing is, and I learned this from Deepa Ma in readings from her teachings, and I mentioned her in previous episode on loving kindness, Deepa Ma would teach something along the lines of washing dishes. When you're washing dishes, when you're washing the breakfast dishes or the dinner dishes, whatever the case may be, you want to be mindful and fully present with what you're doing. So you want to feel the warm water on your skin. You want to smell the dish soap that you're using. Years ago, I was elated when they started selling dish soap that was scented of lavender and lemongrass and it, because it really helped with this meditation. So get some delicious smelling dish soap. And when you're washing the dishes, you have the sensation of the water on your skin and you're tuning into the temperature of the water. You tune into the sound of the water as it pours out of the faucet and you follow and you 
you experience the aromatherapeutic, aromatherapeutic benefits, your olfactory glands are heightened with the smell of the soap and so on and so forth. But you are with the dish. You are with the experience of washing the dish. But your mind is going to get distracted. It's going to go, well, let's also think about what we have to do next. Or let's think about that argument we had today. Or let's think about the fact that the dog needs to go for a walk or whatever. Every time you notice that your mind is getting distracted from the dishwashing, bring it back to the washing of the dish again and again and again. That's meditation. That's mindfulness. Remember that no one is bad at meditation. There's no good or bad. As I said earlier, it's a skill that you're going to hone at your own pace. And I also want to speak to, I know there are apps for meditation. I am not a big fan of that because I find for me, as many years as I've been practicing meditation, my phone in and of itself is a huge distraction. So I need to have my phone in another room so that I don't. So if we're using meditation apps, your phone is right there. I find that to be too tempting, but know thyself. If you would be okay using a meditation app and that's a great support, use it. Use what works. I heard Bob Thurman say years ago, he used, and I do this because he's my teacher and I try the things that he suggests, but he uses an incense stick. I will, at most mornings, I will go through two or three incense sticks because maybe I'm doing some reading and I'm doing my mantra and I'm doing breathing and I'm looking outside at nature. But sometimes I will use a half a stick or a third of a stick. And when the stick burns, I'm done. That was my meditation time. So I have found that to be a really nice tool for timing my meditation. I'm going to stay for as long as this stick burns. And he did laughingly say many times he will break it in thirds and just use that because that's the time he has that morning or that meditation session. Um, we want to recognize that focusing on an object, whether it be the candle flame, your breath, sound, uh, which can be the sounds that are surrounding you. It can be specific sounds. If you have a singing bowl or, or something. Um, also anything that is drawing an inspiration for you. So you may have a picture of someone or uh, a goddess or a deity, probably best to not have a picture of a family member even if it's a pet, because you'd be amazed the stories that your mind will tell based on that picture. So I go for more of um, a picture of a goddess or a deity or a saint um, and things like that. I want you to recognize that these things, breath, sound, and so forth, are coloring books for the mind. And what I mean by that is, I made reference last time about children having tons of energy. Well, if you've ever tried to take a toddler to a really nice restaurant and expected them to sit still for the entirety of the meal, well, that's just silly, right? They're a toddler, they're in a restaurant, they're not of the nature to sit still. So 
you had better bring a coloring book for them. Again, I date myself with this. Maybe you'd bring them an iPad, but if you know me, I'm more in support of you bringing them a coloring book with some crayons or some washable markers, especially those markers that are scented. Oh, they just love those when they smell like grape. You want to have a coloring book for the mind when you are um, addressing a meditation practice. We cannot expect ourselves to just sit down and be calm or be not distracted. No, it's not the nature of the mind. So these are some tools, incense sticks um, and using phrases, breath awareness and sound to incorporate into your meditation practice to support you in it, to support you in it being successful. Breath awareness was the first meditation that the Buddha taught, it is said, and it is about focusing on your breathing. Now that's not for everyone because if focusing on your breathing encourages anxiety, well then you try another tool, maybe sound or, or the other things that I mentioned. But when we recognize that our breath is always with us, it's a tool for meditation that we carry with us wherever we go. So if I'm feeling stressed or if I'm feeling anxious, I know I can just focus on my breathing, extend the exhalation and land in the present moment, be in communion with the reality of what is in the now. I'll share with you one of the benefits that I find greatly in my life is that meditation helps me to <clears throat> recognize my reactivity. And we talk about this a lot. Being able to manage my reactivity in any given moment is liberation. And there's a wonderful book called, I might mess up the title, but it's called A Mole, A Boy, Oh, I'm, forgive me. It's a boy, a mole, a fox, and a horse. The boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. I believe it's by Charles McKay. It's a beautiful book. It's also an Oscar-nominated animated short for this year's Oscars. And you can find it on Apple Plus, Apple TV, I think they call it. But this line with that the mole says, one of our greatest freedoms is how we react to things. One of our greatest freedoms is how we react to things. I offer to you that a meditation practice that you can adopt for your life every day is going to allow you that freedom from being reactive in ways that does not align with your sense of self, with your highest self, it does not align with how you express love and kindness. Meditation will show you, you, in all its glory and with a few of its warts. And it will help you to make the choices in your day-to-day -day life that feel more comfortable, allow you to experience ease within the self. And isn't that what we all crave? I bring my hands together 
in prayer position at the heart center. Thank you so much for listening. Truly, from my heart, thank you so much for joining me in these talks. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be healthy and strong. May all beings be safe and protected. May all beings live with ease. Namaste.